5. And in this passage, we have Jesus teaching about two types of people, those who are prepared and those who aren't. And it's the story of the ten virgins. If we put it into modern-day terminology, it'd be the bridesmaids. So go ahead and just read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And you can read those at your table if you don't have uh, it on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, we have the sermon notes. But go ahead and read that. Father, we ask that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would take seriously this warning from Jesus, that we would walk in the way of light and of truth, that your word would continue to transform our lives in order that we truly can be prepared and ready. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This story, as what we've been reading through Matthew chapter 24 and uh, now going into 25, is all about being prepared for the return of Jesus. Um, because now is the time for preparation. Then it will be too late. Um, anybody here ever run out of gas? Raise the hands if you've ever run out of gas. There's some of you that have run out of gas that are not raising your hands. I know that for a fact. My mother-in-law is one of them because her father... Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Because I had to take the gas to them. I, so I, I remember that. Um, but um, it would appear that every year about a million people call for help because they have run out of gas. Besides flat tires, dead batteries, misplaced keys, running out of gas ranks right up there with the reasons why people call AAA or call somebody for help. And you might understand this happening a generation ago when gas gauges weren't quite as accurate. Um, I can remember Gwen Saturn, it didn't even have a gas gauge. I mean, it was broken, and so we just had to sort of guesstimate on a regular basis. But the interesting thing, when we were guesstimating, we never ran out of gas because we never knew when it was going to be empty, so we always kept it full. Um, now, it's a game. Because the gas light goes on, and then I check, and it says, this is how many miles you have till it's empty. And I go, I bet you I can get more than that. <laughs> um, and we play this game. And we don't take it seriously. And yet, a million people see the exact same warnings 
and then they're out on the highway and they run out of gas. Um, so one must conclude that most of the time that when we run out of gas, we're without excuse. There's no reason for it. Um, so why then do we seemingly, do people so often run out of gas? Um, when the advantages of technology are so available. Now our text today is not about running out of gas, obviously. But it is talking about not having enough oil. And so as we look at this passage, you can see five actions or five movements. Maybe you could even say, say there's six actions or six movements in the story as Jesus tells it. Also, if you're going to have any benefit from reading the scripture, there's an aspect where it has to be autobiographical. We need to recognize ourselves in the story in order to have the most benefit, to be able to say, this is how I can relate. This is how I see it. And so the first action or movement in the story is one of common expectation. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. There's an expectation. The bridegroom's coming. Jesus is coming. And so I'm expecting it, and, and so there's this waiting. Uh, so here is this body of people, this group of people, that are waiting for uh, the groom. And it's like life is a series of waiting. Um, when you're before high school, you can't wait to get into high school. When you're in high school, you can't wait to get out of high school. You can't wait to get your driver's license. You can't wait until you can date. You can't wait until you move out of the house. You can't wait to get married. You can't wait to have children. You can't wait for the children to move out. Um, you, you know, and so it goes on and on and on. There's always this series of waiting. And this is the ultimate wait, waiting for the return of Jesus. And I think that one of the characteristics of life that keeps us moving is this concept of waiting. There's always something that we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to growth. We're looking forward to change. We're looking forward to blessings. We're looking forward to promises. There's something. And in fact, most of us can deal with almost anything if we realize this isn't the final destination. No matter what you're going through, no matter what struggles, what pain, what hurt, what financial things, if you felt that this was where it ended, there'd be, for many, a real sense of hopelessness. But when there's a sense that, no, this isn't it. This is just part of the journey then there can be a place of hope. There can be a place of growth. So these bridesmaids were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. And in terms of Jesus' ultimate message, it meant that they were returning, for, they were waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. These bridesmaids then represent, therefore, those who are convinced that the end of the age will come just as Jesus has described it. They have not bought into this earthly or utopia that's going to come around because mankind is just going to get better and better and better and they're going to solve all their problems and they're going to stop polluting the earth and they're going to stop being politically corrupt and they're going to stop doing crime and they're start going to be morally, you know, degenerate. They're, good. they're not going to do that on their own. That Jesus is going to return. 
and that he's going to make a difference. So they believe in the golden age, but the golden age is going to be because of Jesus, not be because of some other human or earthly philosophy. They are persuaded that only the return of Jesus Christ can accomplish that end. And they are hopeful. They're waiting, and they are hopeful that this coming will come soon. Because they are so in love with the idea of Christ returning. They are so in love with Christ that they hunger to see him. They hunger to see him. A good friend of mine, Terry Mann, uh, who was a part of the Seven Guys group. I've known him for years. And every twice a year, we would get together with Seven Guys, a very creative name. And we would just be together for three or four days, praying with each other, sharing each other's stories, going through life experiences. And throughout that experience, we've seen uh, tremendous changes in each one of their lives. But when Terry uh, contracted cancer, that was a big change for all of us. And so we started just going to Pittsburgh to be with Terry. And a couple of months before Terry passed, we went to Pittsburgh and we went everywhere in Pittsburgh. We went to all the sports arenas. We went to um, the different restaurants and we just spent time. And Terry was spent. I mean, physically spent. Um, but he didn't want to stop being with us. And then, you know, at nighttime we'd get together and we would just share. And Terry would talk about how he's prepared. He goes, I know what the end result is. And I'm prepared. I'm ready to meet my Savior. And he said, and not only at that point was he ready, he said, I'm looking forward to it. Because what the scripture tells me, as soon as I leave this earth, I'm in the presence of Jesus. And his relationship with Christ was such that he looked forward to that. Now, gr granted, he said, it's gonna, I'm going to miss what I have here. But the reward that I perceive and that I'm waiting for is far greater than anything that I could experience here. And what makes me excited is that I can't comprehend anything being more exciting than what I've experienced here. But he was prepared. He was prepared. He wasn't blindsided. He wasn't surprised. He was prepared. The second action or movement of this parable is one of division, of a divided procedure. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lips, lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Uh, not only did they not take extra oil, they took no oil. No oil with them. And the story reminds us that when Jesus comes, there are going to be just two classes of people. Those who are going to be prepared and those who are going to be unprepared. It's really pretty simple. Um, and again, he's speaking these words to his disciples. He is telling them that they need to be prepared. Because he's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to the Sadducees. He's not talking to the masses of people. He has taken his disciples, his team, his group, and he's saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. And this is how it's going to look. And remember who else was sitting in, in this setting. Judas. 
He's, he's telling this, you know, there are going to be those who are going to be prepared and those who are going to be unprepared. And Judas is a part of this. And this does not represent a division between good and bad. And I think that's so many ways that we sometimes define those who are ready and those who aren't. Are you being good or are you being bad? Nowhere does it say that. It has nothing to do with that. They say that there's two kinds of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, and it's usually the self-righteous that define who they are. You know. And first, uh, a, you need to come to the relationship seminar tonight. <laughs> They're hitting each other. <laughs> Which one is the self-righteous? <laughs> There's no moral intention or division intended here. Uh, it's just, are you devoted and are you prepared? And sometimes we like to just look at an outward behavior and say, well, they must, they're doing good, so they must be prepared. They're doing bad, so they must not be prepared. Again, all ten of them were agreed on the importance of oil, and all were using it for its proper purpose, the giving of light. The only difference was that some felt more was needed than others. I need to have more. I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. So despite our agreement and desiring our um, agreement and the bridegroom to come, and all our conviction that history will end as Jesus describes it, Nevertheless, there will be some who will prove in the end to be wise and others will be revealed to be foolish, um, lacking the essential waiting for the Lord's return. And the key for us is to find out what that essential is. And it sort of reminds me of city slickers. And I know for a great majority of you, city slickers, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But in the movie, in the movie, the key was they said, what is the one key to life? And, you know, that's what they were looking for. And Jack Palance says, it's just one thing. And then so, said, well, what is the one thing? It says, it's for you to discover. What is the one thing? Um, and so this parable has a message for all of us as we determine what is that one thing for us that is truly important that's going to say, I am prepared, I'm ready for Christ and his return. Again, seemingly all would have gone well for the whole ten if the bridegroom had been on time. I wouldn't have needed the lamp. Bridegroom would have come on time, everything is good, we're ready to go, but he delayed. And in that delay, now I'm going to need the lamp. Uh, so that's the third action of moving in the story. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Behold, the bridegroom came, come out to meet him. The story doesn't tell us why the bridegroom was late. You can read a lot of ideas about that, the way they did the weddings. It doesn't matter why he was late. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that he was late, and when the, the uh, bridesmaids heard it, five were prepared and five were not. Uh, there is no hint or rebuke 
or disapproval for them sleeping. It's not like, oh, they were sleeping, they must not have been ready. There's no sense of that at all. It just said they were asleep. Um, but for the wise, slept as well as the foolish. It was therefore a perfectly natural thing to do. It was night, and therefore it was impossible to do any work. It was also a festive occasion, and the only purpose for being there was to be with the bridegroom. So when his coming was delayed and they grew drowsy, it would be automatic that they would go to sleep. I've again heard people, commentators or people say that their sleeping was a lack of, you know, readiness or determination or sensitivity or preparedness. No, it wasn't. Uh, so it's just natural that they would drop off to sleep. And it's also highly suggestive for, it indicates the awareness of Jesus that watching does not mean unceasing conscious anticipation of his return. And what I mean by that, we have lives to live. And, and uh, Bob shared that last Sunday, that in the process of waiting, we still have to serve. We still have to love one another. We still have a ministry to do. We still have responsibility that God has given us. So it's not like we're all sitting outside on a mountaintop with telescopes waiting for Jesus to return. I can remember after 9-11, looking up in the sky more than I ever have in my life. During the day, constantly looking up, wondering, being outside of Chicago, is there going to be a plane? Is there going to be something? And every time I heard a jet, I looked up. But the only jets that were flying were military. But there was that sense, that anticipation that something bad is going to happen again. And so is this constant looking up. And this is telling us that we need to be prepared, but it doesn't mean we stop living life and just look up and go to a mountaintop and wait for the return of Jesus. Um, some money needs to be earned. Food needs to be served, needs to be cooked. Children need to be raised, school lessons studied, well, weddings held, funerals attended. All the usual activities must go on. But there's anticipation that even in the midst of all this, at any moment, Christ could return. While these wise and foolish maidens were sleeping, their thoughts were diverted for the time being from the coming of the bridegroom. Um, thus, while they're engaged in normal life activities, there is no need to feel guilty because we have not been thinking of Jesus' return. There's nothing wrong about that at all. It's as if it should be. Um, we, sh we have not failed to watch because we have not been busy because we have been busy doing natural and necessary things. So this isn't to say a guilt if I'm not thinking about it day in and day out and I'm not looking to the sky wondering how it's going to happen. If I'm not constantly looking in the scripture to figure out the timeline. If I'm not reading all the prophecies to make sure that I'm prepared. That's not what this is saying. That's not what preparation means. 
The five wise bridesmaids were waiting for the bridegroom's coming, even while they slept. But as soon as they woke, there was a sense of imminence. Um, so, so suddenly there is a cry of warning. Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And the cry is sounded, and all ten of the bridesmaids are awakened. Again, it is clearly evident that the problem which would soon confront them did not rise out of the fact that they had fallen asleep. They are awake in plenty of time to meet the bridegroom. And many times we are like that. Some event in history could take place. Some event in our society could take place. Something could take place that says, you know what? Christ has to return soon. And it just reminds us of being aware at any moment that Christ could return. Uh, we have some realization that the time may be short. We're often made aware that the grind and routine of life was never intended to go on this way forever. And certainly one day the awakening will come not merely because of an event but the actual cry that Jesus is returning. Paul tells us that when he comes, when he comes for the church it will be with a shout. Um, and it may be those words. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Which leads us to the fourth action of the story. It brings a crisis. It has revealed the wisdom of the wise and the foolishness of the fools. The foolishness of the foolish. Then all those maidens rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, Perhaps there will not be enough for us, and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. Now, a lot of people, again, say, well, why couldn't they have shared? It is better to have five glowing lanterns or torches leading the procession than to have none. Just from a practical perspective. But I think there's a much deeper spiritual and moral perspective. Um, there was only five of the bridesmaids have enough oil for their torches. The other five knew there wouldn't be enough oil in their torches, so immediately they asked the others to give us some of their oil. Um, and I think that part of the moral or spiritual lesson from this, saving grace is not transferable. My father-in-law always used to say there are no grandchildren in heaven. Only children. That just because your family or parents were believers doesn't guarantee that you're going to heaven. Just because your wife may be prepared doesn't mean you will. Just because somebody else is prepared doesn't mean... And we have a tendency to say, well, you know, We'll just bring them along with us. No. There's no such thing as that. That it's up to each every and every individual. Saving grace is not transferable. Preparation is not transferable. And so the prepared bridesmaids say, no, there is not enough oil for both of us. We have prepared for this. You haven't. I'm sorry, but you need to go buy your own oil. Um, well, it's the middle of the night. Even 7-Eleven is closed by now. Or White Hemp Pantry or whatever. 
there's not going to be an easy place for them to get. You can tell how old I am when I say 7-Eleven. I mean, that was like the standard. I, I know, but they're gone. I mean, I, 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 there aren't even any 7-Elevens, are there anymore? Oh, they are? Oh, it's Whitehead Pantry that's gone. Whitehead Pantry's gone. Okay, 7-Eleven. I don't know. Oh, 7-Eleven bought Whitehead Pantry? Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but regardless, there's no place to get oil. So they're going to have to wake somebody and try to get some oil and get back before the procession takes place. Um, but, which leads us to the next movement, or the final one. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other maidens came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I say no to you. I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. There's unbelievable sadness in that verse. To say the door is shut. Try to imagine if outside that room was guaranteed wealth, outside that door, was guaranteed wealth, happiness, financial security, that you would never have another day of sorrow in your life. And you were asked to dismiss by table. And as tables are going out there, you're sitting there going, wow, I can't wait till I get to there. And then all of a sudden, the doors close. And you're beating on the door saying, let me in. Nope, door's closed. Only so many people. Imagine the sadness. Now, I can tell you that that even happens at potlucks. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the last table. I want to make sure I get the chicken. <laughs> you know, and so there's a sense. Well, once that door shuts, the sadness that is there. Um, and again, our codependency side, our trying to reason from a human perspective, the will of God, says, no, that can't be right. Just because they're a little bit late doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to go in. And we try to figure out God with our mind because if we can't, we just don't think how God could do that. And we miss out on the fact that God is a God of love and that God is a God of justice. And he's given every single person the same opportunity to be prepared. It's like, who never has run out of gas? Okay, see, we have a few people who've never run out of gas. They have no different opportunities than we do. They choose to take the warning signs. We chose to ignore the warning signs. See, same opportunity, same gasoline, same, op same vehicles that run on gas, unless you have an electric car. Uh, <laughs> but, and there's a point where it's not a matter of and choosing, it's a matter of the responsibility that we have 
with our choices. See, now is the time to prepare for the second coming of Christ. Then it will be too late. And again, it's important to remember that preparation is not transferable. Nobody can do it for you. So are you prepared for Jesus? Are you prepared for the return of Jesus? Uh, when the foolish finally arrived, the door was shut. Uh, again, we must be careful not to impose our faulty judgments into this matter. Jesus' words are a faithful, honest revelation of something that has been true from the beginning of time. It is possible to know much doctrine. It is impossible to know all about the scripture. It is possible to know all those things that never believe in the Lord of the Bible. I can believe the Bible, but I never really believe Jesus. I can believe in these creeds, but I don't really believe in the person. I believe in the creed, and I believe that, but I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so faith has to go deeper than doctrine. Faith has to go deeper than just knowledge. Because knowledge is worthless and it unless it leads to a change in us. The scripture knowledge is worthless unless it leads us to a surrender into who Christ is. And there are some who are continually seeking to make a partial commitment trying to find a compromise argument uh, with God. And so they say, I can agree with this, I can agree with this, but I really don't want to change my behavior. I can agree with this, but I don't want to change my attitude. I don't want to put Christ first. I want to continue to put my thoughts, my behaviors, my feelings first. Instead of saying, no, wait, if this is what Christ said, then this is what I need to do to prepare. And again, we need to remember that when Jesus spoke these words of words of warning to the, in the parable, Judas was there. And can you imagine how surprised the disciples were when Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus that night? I believe that the five foolish virgins had no oil for the very same reason people continue to run out of gas today even when the flashing message that you're low on gas flashes. First, people don't believe the warning signs. We just don't believe the warning signs. They don't think things are as bad as they are reported to be. They go, oh, you know, I must have more gas than that. Or I've gotten that message before on my car, and I've been able to make it to the gas station. I've always been able to get there before I finally run out. Um, those who run out of gas or those who refuse to buy the oil are the people who refuse to heed the warnings. And they refuse to accept the invitation of salvation through Jesus Christ. Those who don't purchase fuel are those who don't think they need it, at least at the moment. Which leads to the second. Those who run out of gas are lulled into, lulled into a false confidence by the fact that everything appears to be fine at the moment. I know Jesus may return any moment, but things are going great today. He's not going to come now. The engine is running smoothly. I don't need to buy gas. There's no signs that I'm running out of gas. 
And so we feel confident in our choice not to purchase fuel. We feel confident in our choice not to surrender all to Christ. That was the way it was in the days of Noah. Remember, he was in the ark. Whole family, all the animals, everybody's in the ark seven days before it rained. I can imagine him going up to the deck every day. So, well, looks like it's just another day for tanning uh, because it's sunny, it's nice, the weather's great, and people are down there still calling us crazy Noah. So, I mean, and yet, one, then all of a sudden, it happened. And it was too late to prepare. It was too late to prepare. Third, those who run out of fuel are those who wrongly suppose that they will have plenty of time to get it later. We know when our gas gauge is low. We can see the flashing lights on the dash. But we still think that there's plenty of time to deal with the problem. There will surely be another gas station ahead and not too far. How many play that game? Because I play that game. And I'm, I'll be driving, and I'll go, okay, it says I've only got so many miles. I can make it. And I'll go, and then I'll start, I'll slow down. I'll slow down to the speed limit. <laughs> because I know that at the speed limit, I'm getting better gas mileage than I am when I'm, and I think if I get there faster, but no, if I get there faster, I'll run out of gas. So I slow down. People are going by me, honking their horns, you know. Um, just so I could play that game to see if I can make it. People play the same game with Christ. They really do. I know that this is what the scripture says. I know what it means to put Christ first. I know what it means to do to repent. I know what it means to uh, let my life be guided by his principles. But you know what? I have gotten by this for this long. I think I can, I can make it to the next stop. And then maybe. That false confidence has gotten many people into trouble. Those, those who think they will have other chances to come to faith in Jesus are making a very dangerous assumption. Um, there was an article on Facebook from a person I know, and he talked about how his son was killed in a motorcycle accident. Gone like that. And then about a year later, his wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And he started to share how dementia and the Parkinson's just started to take his wife. And he said, I lost my son in an instant. And I'm losing my wife one day at a time. And he's a speaker. And so he was sharing that story. And then afterwards, people said, can we pray for you? And they prayed. And as they were praying for him and his family and everything else, they said, one girl just prayed a simple, made a simple statement. She goes, I'm glad you have a Savior who understands what it means to be forgotten by his spouse. See, that's what we do with Jesus. He's the bridegroom. And many times we forget who he is. And Jesus says, you know, even though you forget me, I will never stop loving you. That's what it means to be prepared. 
to never stop loving Jesus and to allow him to be the center of everything. The story is continuously reminding us of the absolute importance of watchfulness and heart faith in order to be prepared for the return of Christ. Um, our choices here have everlasting consequences and we must take care that we really care about the most important things. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. I just thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, I ask that you continue to bless our time, our conversation, our words. And Lord, as we go through each and every day, that we're not wasting time looking up in the sky, but we're living our lives truly centered upon you so that when you do return, we're prepared. That we are aware that at any time you could come and we can look forward to being in your presence. But until that time, we are busy serving you in the ways that you would have us serve you. We ask your blessing upon each and every person here that we can go forth to be a blessing to others. This is our prayer in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.